Good morning. How's everybody? Good. All right. One more time I ask you, are you ready for Christmas yet? Okay. You better be because we are out of time. So uh, Christmas is upon us. If you have a Bible with you or you're using your phone app or something, open to the book of Luke, which is the uh, third book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And go to Luke chapter 2. You should be able to find it. If you've been here the last couple weeks, this is where we have been all during the month of uh, December, looking at the Christmas story in Luke and trying to look at it with some new eyes. Because the challenge that we face with the Christmas story in the scripture is that we are super familiar with it. Uh, We are used to it. It doesn't matter. This could be the first time you've ever set foot in a church worship service, and you've never read the Bible in your life, and still you are familiar with the teaching of Luke chapter 2. It's a story you have heard. It's a story that you've grown up with. It's a story that is all around us, and this time of year especially, it's a story that is emphasized. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. All you have to do is be a person who has watched the Charlie Brown Christmas, and you have heard Luke chapter 2. So um, that is a bit of a danger for us because we are so incredibly familiar with it. And when we're incredibly familiar with something, we tend to not notice stuff. Like if if you walk into your house today, um, if you've been living there 20 years, there might be some cobweb up in the corner that has been there for the last 10 years, right? And you don't even notice it. You just, you just live there every day. You're used to it. But if I walk into your house, the first thing I'm going to do is go, this person is a slob. What is up with these cobwebs, right? Because what you're unfamiliar with, you tend to notice, but you tend to just sort of zone out when you're super familiar with it. And for that reason, we know the Christmas story, or at least we think We know the Christmas story. It's familiar to us. And um, there are some misconceptions, though, that threaten us if we don't stop and take a look at it with fresh eyes. And so we've been trying to do that the last few weeks. Um, For example, we hear uh, about the time in Bethlehem, and we're surprised at the way Jesus uh, is treated. We're surprised at the way Joseph and Mary are treated. We're surprised that nobody makes them welcome. We're surprised that nobody makes a big deal out of it because after all, these are Jewish people and there's been prophecies for thousands of years saying that the Messiah is coming and they've all been looking forward to a Messiah and they've all been hoping for a Messiah and wishing for a Messiah and now Messiah shows up and it's like they're completely oblivious to this and that makes us scratch our head and wonder what in the world is going on. But you know what? We have to remember that we have a privileged point of view because we get to see how it all happened and then compare that to the Old Testament prophecy and go, oh, they should have known. But they didn't know. And if you keep in mind also that um, it had been 400 years since a prophet had even spoken on God's behalf to the nation of Israel. So it's not like there was someone saying, hey, in six months, you better get ready because the time of the Messiah is coming, or hey, it's coming in two weeks, or hey, you better watch out. Tomorrow night is the night. Be watching the sky. You're going to see angels. You're going to see a star. You're going to see all that kind of stuff. There was nobody paying attention. There was nobody looking for that, and why would they be? Because they had a vague hope of a Messiah that had been looked forward to for thousands of years. 
But they certainly weren't looking for him that night in that town, in that stable. Nobody expected the Messiah to come that way. Most people thought he would come as a military leader. They thought he would come as a conquering hero, that he would set them free from the oppression of the Romans, that he would lead Israel back to a state of independence. Other people thought he's going to come bursting through the clouds and everybody is going to see him when he comes. And the reason they thought that, by the way, is because that's what the prophecy says. And so if you're expecting the Messiah to come in the clouds, why would you be looking in a stable? And you think about all those Old Testament prophecies, if you didn't see how it all worked out, you would think they were contradicting one another. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. One of them said he's going to, to be in Bethlehem. Another one said he's going to be from Nazareth. Another one said he's going to come out of Egypt. How are you supposed to put all that together and understand and go, okay, I think I know where he's coming. I think I know when he's coming. And so people didn't. And so um, they were looking for perhaps some kind of a prophet like Ezekiel or Elijah, some wild-eyed prophet that would come shouting um, the judgments of God. Uh, and they just didn't know what to do. And they hadn't heard from any prophet for all those years. Just think about this. We have Bibles that give us all these prophecies, including end times prophecies. We're told over and over and over again in our Bibles that Jesus is coming back soon, right? We're told he is coming back soon. We're told over and over and over and over and over again. And all the evidence is that the New Testament writers, guys like Peter and John and Luke and James and guys like that, they thought he would be coming in their lifetime. Because he said, I'm going to be coming back soon, so watch for me. Be ready for me. And so they thought he would be coming in their lifetime. That's been about 2,000 years now, right? But the scripture says, be looking for the Messiah. He's coming soon. And this time he is coming in the clouds with power and great glory, right? And so how many of you last night were out in your backyard looking up into the clouds going, is he coming? Is he coming? <laughs> Probably not. Because that's not what we're thinking about on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment basis. And that's not what they were thinking about either. This is an unexpected time, an unexpected place, unexpected people. Nobody thought this was going to happen this way. And so this familiar story of the birthday of Jesus is actually a pretty shocking event. Nobody was predicting it. Nobody's looking for it. Nobody seemed to know anything about it. Now, Mary and Joseph knew about it. We know that Zachariah and Elizabeth knew something about it. But beyond them, we're not aware of anybody who knows anything about this. So no one's expecting it. And I want you to keep that in mind and try to look at this story with those eyes, imagining that that was you, as we look again at Luke chapter 2. And we've been in Luke chapter 2 now for three weeks, and I, I, I'm going to reread this passage. We're going to start in verse 8, and for many of you, you don't even need it to be read to you because you've heard it so many times, but let's read it together. Beginning in verse 8, Luke chapter 2, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry found their way to Mary with Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. It's a familiar story. But when you really think about it, there are some big lessons here that we can miss if we just hear it like we've always heard it before and don't pay attention. So I'm going to give you a couple lessons from the Christmas story this morning. The first one that jumped out at me is this. God shows up at unexpected times. He shows up at unexpected times. It just seems to be his way. You never know when God is going to show up. Now, those of you who are theologically minded are already going, I'm not sure about this sermon because he's telling me God's going to show up, but the Bible says God is omnipresent, which means God never needs to show up. God is always there, right? He's everywhere at once. That's not what I mean when I say when God shows up. There are times, though, when God manifests himself. There are times when he makes his presence known by his activity, and he shows you that he's there. And and he shows up here in Bethlehem in that kind of a way. And so in that sense, God seems to love showing up at unexpected times. And I have found that to be true in my own life. And I would guess that some of you have found it to be true in your lives. I... When I was just starting high school, 14 years old, um, I had gone through a couple of uh, crisis events in my life where I kind of hit rock bottom and was humbled and humiliated and challenged and scared and all of that kind of stuff and realized how much I needed help. And I now know that God was using those times to sort of prepare my heart for something he was about to do. But I was just getting uh, started in high school, and I had just a few interests. I was not a complicated person. A few interests. Interest number one, girls. Interest number two, sports. Interest number three, friends. Interest number four, more girls. That was my interest. And you pretty much had me pegged if you understood that about me. Those are the things I was interested in. Every now and then, there would be a good teacher that would catch my interest for about 10 minutes in school. Other than that, those were my interests. Um, God was the last thing on my mind at that point in my life. I gave zero thought to God. I wasn't interested in God. I didn't have questions about God. I wasn't looking for God. I I was not involved with God as far as I knew. And so what happened is uh, I was an athlete, so it was um, the spring or summer, I guess, 
and I was playing baseball. And so I'm at the high school practicing for baseball. And I'm at baseball practice. I had made arrangements with my girlfriend to meet me after practice. And we're going to walk home to my house together and get some dinner and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, I finished this long summertime hot dirty practice. I'm in a baseball uniform. I'm covered in dirt and sweat, and I'm walking with my girlfriend when suddenly there comes a car screeching up and stops in the lane right next to us, and the doors open, and people jump out of this car, and I thought, this is the last day of my life. They're going to kill us right now. I didn't know these people, but my girlfriend knew them. Because uh, she had recently moved there from another town, and these are kids who went to her old high school, and they had been to her house looking for her, and her mom sent them this way, and they happened to see us walking, so they just pulled up on the side, jumped out of the car, and she greeted them, introduced me, and all that kind of stuff. She goes, what are you doing? And they said, "Um, we came because we wanted to invite you to come to church with us. And uh, and, um, she said, oh, that sounds like fun. You want to go? And I looked at my baseball uniform, (laughs) smelled my pits, and said, "Um, I haven't been to church in a really long time, but I'm pretty sure you can't go to church like this. And they go, you can to this church. And I go, I don't really think that's a good idea. And they go, no, really, it's a youth group. It's all high school students, and everybody comes dressed however they are. It's no big deal get in the car. And they put us in the car and we took off and we went to this church. And I show up in my baseball uniform, stinky and sweaty and dirty at a church. And I haven't set foot in church since I was a little tiny kid. And I walk in and I am greeted and received by people who treat me like I was the most famous guy who they've ever met. Everybody is coming up and wanting to meet me and everybody is talking to me and asking me about stuff. They see the baseball uniform. They're like, oh my gosh, are you a baseball player? We need a guy on our softball team because you would be the perfect guy. And, And they just start inviting me and encouraging me. Let me tell you something. Within two weeks, I had broken up with that girl, but I never stopped going to that church because there were people there who were treating me in a way I had never been treated before, and I was hearing a message like I had never heard before about a God who loved me in spite of what I knew was true about me, and within two months, I found myself flat on my face before that God, crying out to him and inviting him to be my Lord and Savior, and I have been following him ever since, and my life has been radically, radically transformed, and it all began that day in a dirty baseball uniform on the side of the road when I least expected it. God does amazing things, even when we least expect it. God has a way of showing up, even when we least expect it. See, some of us think our lives are pretty much planned. We think our lives are pretty much figured out. We know what we're doing today. We know what we're doing tomorrow. We got our five-year plan, our 10-year plan, all of that kind of stuff. And, And we're focused on certain things right now. We're not expecting today to be anything special. We're not expecting today to be anything out of the ordinary. Most of you drove here today and you probably didn't give any thought to your expectation that perhaps today in some way that would be life-changing for you, you might have an encounter with the living God and he would touch your life and transform your heart and change you forever. But you know what? That could happen for you right now today. 
You know what else? You might get nothing out of this sermon. You might go, that was a waste of my time. And you might get in your car and drive away and go drive to Mimi's for lunch. And while you're enjoying your French onion soup, you might overhear a conversation at the next table that was exactly what you needed to hear. And in that moment, God might change your life forever. You don't know. God shows up at unexpected times. I wonder how many of us are thinking this Christmas, I'm gonna have an encounter with God that's gonna change my life. I wonder how many of us, now that we're winding down 2019, We'll look and say, boy, this was a year when I was expecting God to do something amazing in my life. How many of us going into 2020 are thinking, this is, I think, going to be a year where I'm going to encounter God and he's going to transform me and something amazing is going to happen that I never expected. You're probably not thinking that way. Most of us aren't thinking that way. Most of us are just getting up every day and doing that day's business. And we'd be shocked if God actually showed up. We wouldn't expect it. But we have no idea that God is about to show up. No idea that God is about to change everything. Christmas should be a reminder that God has a tendency to show up when we don't expect it. That there can be spiritual breakthrough that can happen at any moment of our lives. And that God can bring that breakthrough to us. It's not just about the moment of salvation like I was talking about. Because a lot of you uh, have been Christians for a really long time. Maybe you're, you, you've been a follower of Jesus for decades. And yet, honestly, truthfully, you'd say, I'm kind of struggling right now. I'm kind of struggling in this area of my life or that area. Or, or maybe I'm just even struggling to see God working in all of this. I can't even tell you when was the last time I went, wow, I really, I've really grown, I've really changed, I'm really, I'm really being transformed by God. A lot of us, we're just sort of going through our Christian lives, and we can't even think of anything that's really transformed us or any great moment with God that's changed us. But you know what's interesting? God rarely does it all in a great moment. He does it usually a little at a time. Think about the disciples, the 12 that went with Jesus everywhere. Think about them. There's a famous story. Jesus is walking along. A bunch of these guys are fishermen, right? They've just finished their day of fishing. They're there cleaning their nets and separating out the fish and getting their boats ready for the next day. Jesus comes along walking by and he stops and talks to them. And here's what he says. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the scripture says, they put down their nets, left their boats, and began to follow him. Because he didn't just say, hey, follow me. In the Greek, he said, come and follow me and keep on following me. And, and so he, they understood that he was inviting them in to a process. And they began to follow him. Who were these guys who began to follow him? They were guys with limited education. They were guys with limited experience. They were guys who had no real fame, no real fortune, no real power. Nobody looked up to them. They were just dudes. They were just fishermen. They were just your average blue-collar guy. And Jesus comes along and says, hey, follow me, and I'm going to make you something that you've never been before. Follow me. You'll stop being a fisher of fish, and you'll start to be a fisher of men. And so they put everything down, and you might say, okay, that was their moment of breakthrough. Well, in hindsight, we could say that. You might also say that 
while they were in that storm on the boat, remember Jesus is sleeping in the bow and the waves are breaking over the boat and they're about to drown and they're afraid they're gonna get capsized and they're all gonna die and they're freaking out and they're bailing as fast as they can. They finally wake up Jesus. They go, what is the matter with you? How can you sleep during this? Do you care if we die? And Jesus stands up, stretches, looks at the wave and goes, shh. And the sea becomes like glass and the wind stopped blowing. And those guys in the boat look at each other, I'm paraphrasing here, but they look at each other and basically they say, who the heck is this guy? Who is this guy? He speaks and even the wind and the waves obey him. Uh, I think we're into something we didn't realize we're into. I think we're with somebody who's different than we realize that he is. And, and so there's that moment, and you go, Michael, that was a breakthrough where they, they turned the corner in their understanding, and they went, oh, this is bigger than we realized. And they learned they could trust him for some stuff. Or move ahead, he's now been crucified, and they scatter, and they run, and they hide because they've seen what happened to him. They know he was murdered brutally. They know that he was wrapped up and, and shoved into a tomb. They know that the tomb was sealed and guarded. They know that he is dead as a doornail, and they know that the Romans are probably coming for them next. So they go, and they hide, and they're afraid, and they don't ever want to be seen again. They lose their faith. They lose their hope because, after all, all their hope was in Jesus. They thought he was the Messiah. Now it turns out he's dead. Now what are they going to do? And Jesus shows up on the third day. He's raised from the dead. And what does he do? He seeks these guys out and they have this aha moment with him and they go, wow, this is bigger than I realized. And their hope is returned to them and they have a sense over the next 40 days that they spend with Jesus and he gives them a mission and he tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit. And you could go, that was their breakthrough time. That's true. Or you could say, go to Acts chapter 2, you open it up, you have the day of Pentecost, and at the, at the Feast of Pentecost, they're all gathered together, and the Holy Spirit suddenly shows up in a tangible way, and they start preaching boldly, and people get saved, and they're endowed with power, and now they can cast out demons, and now they can raise the dead and heal the sick, and they have all this amazing power, and these guys go off and lead the first century church and transform the world, and we look at them and go, wow, those guys are spiritual giants, those guys are heavyweights. Those guys wrote our New Testament. Those are the guys that their words are the ones that we call the word of God. These guys are heavyweights. No, they ain't. They're fishermen who simply responded when Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you what you are not today. And you go, well, what was the key moment? What was the thing that turned Peter from being a bumbling idiot into being Peter, the great man of God? And you could pick out some spots and go, maybe it was here, maybe it was here, maybe it was here. You know what I'd say? It was three years of spending 24 hours a day, seven days a week with Jesus watching his attitude, listening to his words, seeing the way he cares for people, watching his humility, watching the way he carries himself, his servanthood, his, his theological insights. And over that time of walking with him, Peter didn't even know it. He went from being a bumbling idiot to a great man of God. And that's happening in your lives too. And you don't even know it. Little by little, Day by day, moment by moment, 
time in his word, time in prayer, walking with him through trials, serving him when you don't want to serve him, learning how to humble yourself. And you might go, yeah, there's nothing really big going on in my life. Oh, there's something great going on in your life. There's breakthrough happening in your life. Little by little, day by day, God is making you who he wants you to be. You see, times of breakthrough are not always dramatic. Most of the time, we don't even notice them, but God is at work whether you notice him or not. So there's a couple of things. God shows up at unexpected times. We learned that at Christmas. God shows up in unexpected places. We learned that at Christmas. He shows up in unexpected places. Pastor Ricky was alluding to this earlier. We sing the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And we have this picture in our mind, and we've seen the artist's rendering of this little town with a little stable and a star over it and all that kind of stuff. We think, what a cute little town. Bethlehem was not a sprawling metropolis, but it wasn't even a little town either. Bethlehem was a gas station in the middle of the desert. So if you want to get a picture for what Bethlehem was in their society, picture this. Have you... There's a little town called Baker. You ever been to Baker? Now, Baker, if you've been, I know you guys are Vegas people, right? That's how you know about Baker. Baker is the place you stop on your way to Vegas, right? Or on your way to cross country or whatever. You come out of um, California and you're heading up that 15, you are going to stop in Baker. Now, how many of you have ever said, hey, hon, I have a great idea. Let's take a vacation to Baker this year. <laughs> no one says that, right? You stop in Baker because there's a lot of free toilets in Baker. You can do that. They sell beef jerky in Baker and all kinds of snack food, and you are sustained for the rest of your trip. If you stay in Baker, you're officially an idiot, <laughs> right? It's, just, it's, it's not even, a, it's barely a town. It was sprawling compared to Bethlehem. Bethlehem was no big deal. Bethlehem wasn't even on a lot of maps. Nobody would have expected God to show up in Bethlehem. Nobody would have expected that he would choose this little hamlet in the middle of um, nowhere in an out-of-the-way stable with no fanfare, no paparazzi, no reporters, nobody looking for the king of kings and lord of lords. Why would you pick a place like that? But that is where he showed up because God has a tendency to show up in unexpected places. Most of you will remember the news story last year. It was a tragic shooting, another one of those officer-involved shootings, civilian was killed, and of course there was a lot of uh, upheaval about this. As it turns out, this takes place in Dallas, um, and it's a white off-duty police officer who shoots an African-American male and kills him in his own apartment and then claims that it was a mistake and it was a very sketchy, terrible, horrific story. And a lot of the racial tension that is around some of these officer-involved shootings that have happened around the country is rising up and people are upset and people want justice and people want to know what's going to happen, right? And I think the, the police officer, her name was Amber Geiger, 
and uh, she goes on trial for murder. And uh, if you followed the story at all, it was hard to miss because it was a national news story, so much so that by the end of the trial, there was live television cameras in the courtroom recording all this stuff. It was getting broadcast for everybody to see. It was like the O.J. Simpson trial. And uh, everybody wanted to know, was she going to be let off or was she going to be found guilty? And what would be the ramifications of that? And she was found guilty of murder. Uh, and there came time for her sentencing hearing, and at the sentencing hearing, again, with the cameras rolling and all of the country watching, the younger brother of the victim takes a stand to testify about what he thinks her sentence should be. And many of you saw the video of this, but this young 18-year-old boy by the name of Brant Jean begins to speak. And it was there in a Dallas courtroom on national television that Jesus showed up. And this young man looked the woman who killed her brother, his brother in the eyes and said, what I want for you is God's best. I want you to know I forgive you. I want you to know I love you. I want you to know Jesus loves you so much that he died for you, and I want you to know that the best thing you could possibly do with your life is to give your life to Jesus Christ. And many of us sat in stunned silence watching this young man wipe tears away, and then he did the unthinkable. He looked at the judge and he said, Your Honor, I don't know if this is okay, but... Could I give her a hug? And the judge sat there with a stunned look on her face, not knowing what to say. And it was just the silence, it's interminable silence while the judge thought about that question. And finally the judge said, yes. And the bailiff took the convicted murderer, brought her to the center of the room, and the young man stepped out of the witness stand, went to the center of the room, threw his arms around her and embraced her. And she wept on his shoulder as he talked to her in her ear about the love of Jesus Christ. And the cameras rolled. And Time Magazine ran the story. And if that's not enough, the judge who was responsible to sentence this woman to prison was about to carry out the sentence, but before she did, she went back to chambers, got the Bible off her desk, came and sat down with the cameras rolling at the defendant's table, opened to John chapter three and explained the gospel to this woman and gave her the Bible and invited her to give her life to Jesus Christ. How many of you thought that was gonna happen that day in that place? See, God shows up. And when God shows up, incredible healing happens. And the people in that room were stunned. This was an incredible moment for that woman who is now serving her time in prison. And that was an incredible moment in her life. There's no way she'll ever be able to tell her story again without telling about that moment, right? But it wasn't just a great, important moment for her. It was a great, important moment for all of us who heard the story. 
Because it showed the whole world that the love of Jesus is so profound and powerful that it can overcome even such terrible anger and hurt and animosity that comes from a situation like that and that the grace of God is enough for every person. God shows up in unexpected places and God shows up in unexpected times. Because you know what? If God can show up in a courtroom in Dallas, if God can show up in a manger in a stable in Bethlehem, then God could show up at your house. God could show up in your marriage. God could show up in the life of your child. God can show up in our church. God could show up at your local place of business. God can show up in the Supreme Court of the United States. God could show up in the hallowed halls of Congress. God could show up in the White House. Don't think for a second that just because there are these certain places that we look and don't see God's activity, we think, boy, this is a God-forsaken place, God-forsaken people, a God-forsaken nation. We are not forsaken by God. God shows up, and he doesn't care whether the door's locked. He shows up, and he doesn't care whether anyone's looking for him or not. He shows up. God shows up in the most unexpected times. God shows up in the most unexpected of places. And there's just one more thing I don't want you to miss as you think about the Christmas story this year. God shows up with unexpected people. It's not just the time, it's not just the place. God shows up with unexpected people. We've already talked about this some. Pastor Ricky again alluded to this this morning. Those shepherds of all the people to make the announcement to, you're gonna announce it to these shepherds? You're gonna choose them out of all the people in the world to to honor them. These people are spiritually um, unclean. They're religiously uh, unacceptable. They are dirty, smelly, poor, homeless, outcasts. They're the last people that anybody would look at and go, these are the ones God's going to show up to. And yet he shows up to them. And Mary and Joseph, why pick them? What is so special about Mary? What is so special about Joseph? Why does God come to them out of all the people in the world? Clearly, there must have been some people who were more religious. Clearly, there must have been some people who were more righteous. Clearly, there must have been some people who who were already praying for the Messiah to come. But no, he just shows up to Mary and shows up to Joseph. Why does he pick Mary out of all the people? And she herself says, for all generations, I will be called blessed among women. And she still is. Why does he pick her? Today, Mary tends to be venerated and people are like, wow, Mary is so impressive. Wasn't Mary great? Listen, why did God pick Mary? I don't know either. I have no idea. Any more than I know why God picked me for to pour his grace out on. I have no idea why God chose so many of us to give his grace to, to give us the faith to believe. I have no idea. But God, in his unbelievable grace, shows up with the most unexpected of people. He goes and gets the Magi from a country way far away. Says, hey, I'm gonna give you guys this special place in all of human history. Follow this star and I'm gonna take you to the newborn king and you're gonna worship him. And by the way, you're gonna bring him gifts. 
And I know the, magi, the story of the Magi is confusing. We don't all know that much about that. First of all, I know you think they're three wise men. There's nothing in the Bible that says there's three or that they were wise. We have no idea about that. We know there was three gifts. My speculation is there was at least 10 or 20 of these guys, and I'll tell you why, because they, ha- they brought three gifts, and you know how guys are, they're gonna chip in, right? <laughs> That's what I think. We, we don't know exactly how that all went down, I'm not sure, right? But we go, well, they were wise men, they were kings. No, they're not kings. Stop singing, we three kings, they're not kings. You know what they are? They're astrologers. Astronomers and astrologers. They're fortune tellers. These are guys who in Persia are seen as sort of the spiritually elite. And what they've done is sort of taken a bunch of different religious systems and mashed them all together and treated it like a smorgasbord and picked what they liked and made their own sort of religious plate. These are not Jews. These are not righteous men. They're not even Israelites. They're from way over there. Why does God pick them? I have no idea. But God shows up in the most unexpected of people. And that pattern continues in Jesus. For lepers. For tax collectors for the blind and the lame and the mute, for the deaf and the dead, Jesus shows up. He shows up to those who have nothing to offer him. He shows up to those who have nothing but need. He shows up to those who are unappreciated, who are unloved, who are unrespected. He shows up to those who are untouchable. And what does he do? He touches them. I love the way that Jesus so constantly, especially when he's healing lepers, he doesn't just say, be healed, which he has the power to do. We've seen him do it. He did it in other passages. You know what he does with lepers? He touches them. Lepers. You can't touch a leper because their uncleanness rubs off on you unless you're Jesus and your cleanness rubs off on them. So Jesus comes to these undesirables, these unexpected people, to a thief on the cross. Jesus shows up in the last moment to give him his last chance. And he says to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. The darkness is no match for the light of God. He breaks through. The sky lit up for the shepherds. This story happens at night, the passage that we read. It says, they were keeping watch over their flocks by night. In the darkness, suddenly there appeared a great light. And the glory of God shone around them. And to make it better, the whole sky opened up and the heavenly host declared, Gloria in excelsis Deo. The light pierces the darkness. The star that the Magi followed shone so brightly that they couldn't miss it. The the light always breaks through the darkness. 
People say, well, you know, the, the Christmas story is in Matthew and it's in Luke, but John doesn't mention it. Really? Let, let me, you don't have to turn there. Let me just read to you from John chapter 1. John just begins his Christmas story earlier. Here's what he says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. He's talking about Jesus. In him, verse 4, was the light, was the life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. In the midst of a darkened world, Jesus comes as a piercing light, and forced to notice him, because you cannot ignore when the lights get turned on in a dark room, right? Forced to notice him, he is rejected by his own people. He came to them, but they received him not. But if we were to skip down to verse 12, it says this, but to as many as received them, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. See, the light enlightens every man. It can't be ignored. It's obvious. It's there. God bursts through the darkness. The question is, what are you going to do with the light? So what can we learn from this Christmas? Well, that God has a way of showing up when we need him. God has a way of showing up where we need him. God has a way of showing up to the people who clearly need him the most. And that makes me think, okay, well, how about us? How about you? Are you in need of a breakthrough? Is there something in your life where you go, boy, I, I'm really trying here, but I, I'm just falling short. There's something here that's too big for me to handle. I can't handle it. If God doesn't show up, I'm going to get squashed. I don't know what to do. I, I keep falling into these same habits, and I know they're wrong, and I know they're bad, and I know they dishonor God, and they're messing up my life, but I just can't seem to find the the ability to say no when the temptation comes and I keep falling in the same holes again and again. Are you in need of a breakthrough? Because Christmas is a reminder that God came to break through. That God comes to the strangest places in the strangest time with the strangest people and he breaks through. If you're in need of a breakthrough, let me just tell you, there is no time like the present. There is no place like wherever you are, and there is nobody that God loves more than he loves you. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Won't you open your eyes? Won't you see the light at Christmas? Christmas is an annual reminder that God is ready, God is willing, and God is able to break through the darkness and bring us light. Don't miss the breakthrough this Christmas. All right, close your Bibles, close your notes.
we're going to do something together. This is not, we don't usually do anything like this. I'm going to ask you to trust me here, okay? We're just going to have some individual time with the Lord. So I'm going to invite you to, I'm going to ask you, request of you, that you would bow your head and close your eyes. Because I'm convinced that some of us are sitting here right now going, oh God, I need a breakthrough. So let's start with this. Heads bowed, okay? Out of respect for everybody. Let's start with this. If you would say of yourself, look, I'm a Christian. I, I really do love God and I really do want to honor God and I really do want to walk with God and, and you know, I really want to try. But I know I'm a Christian. Raise your hand. Just stick your hand up. Okay, put your hands down. Now, if you would honestly say, um, even though I really do want to honor God and all of that, there's an area in my life where I need a breakthrough. There's, there's an area of sin that I need to overcome. There's an area of fear that I need to be set free from. There's an area of pain in my life that I need to be healed from. There's a situation that I don't know how to handle. There's, there's something that's too big for me. Even though I love God, even though I'm trying to walk with God, even though I want to honor God, that there's, some, there's some area of my life that comes to my mind where I need a breakthrough. If that's true of you, would you also raise your hand? Okay, leave your hands up. Leave your hands up. Open your eyes. Look around. Oh, guess what? It's not just you. Guess what? It's all of us. It's all of us. We all need a breakthrough. We all desperately need God to find us in our little out of the way place, little no name us at just the right time and find us and bring light into our darkness. Every one of us needs it. It's not an issue of shame. It's not something that says, oh, I guess I must not be a real Christian. No, you guys, we struggle with things. And there are areas where we just need to be touched by God in the worst way. We need that touch. And so, again, this is weird. We don't usually do this, but we're going to go to prayer. And when we pray, I'm going to just invite you, if you're, if you're willing, just put your hands out like this, like in a receiving. So just, it's a symbol. Just bow your head, close your eyes, and symbolically get ready to receive from God. And let's pray. God, today, we, your people, as a group and as individuals, come to you needing to receive from you. We need you to break through. We need you to touch our lives. We need you to bring healing, God. I believe there's probably somebody here, maybe many people here, who are really struggling just with their sense of self, their sense of worthlessness, and they need you to break through and to show them how loved they are. I pray you do that for them. And Father, I think there's got to be some people here who are just facing trials that are bigger than we can handle. So whatever those trials are, medical, financial, relational, uh, job-related, whatever those issues are, God, 
I pray that you would just pour grace into our lives, that we would receive this breakthrough that you have for us. I pray, God, for those who are struggling with sin, that we just keep stepping in the same holes, giving into the same temptation, and it's just sapping us of any sense of joy in our lives, and we feel defeated. God, won't you please just pour your grace into our lives? Won't you please just touch us in whatever way it is that you know how to touch us? Find us where we are and meet us there, God. Whatever the challenge is for every one of us who needs to receive a breakthrough from you, it may not come in a moment. It may not come in a flash. But God, won't you please shine light in the darkest parts of our lives that you might receive all the glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.